Well, hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me. This is Ross Jones, your business coach with my weekly podcast show, Bold Business Bits, coming to you from Yorkshire. This is where I have a great conversation with a phenomenal female business boss. We share some of the bold stuff they do, lessons they've learned, adversities they've overcome and the fun they have. And then I'll be dipping into my toolkit and sharing a top tip. Business can be lonely, so make sure you join us each week and be part of our show. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of our Bold Business Bits podcast show. Today I'm joined by Louise Daly, Commercial Manager at York Racecourse Hospitality. Having spent 23 years in the Middle East deprived of rain, Louise talks about the lessons she learned there as a woman in business. Undeniably an inspirational business leader, Louise runs a team responsible for ensuring that York Racecourse makes money outside of the actual horse racing events. We talk about what makes a great team, how each team member is part of the jigsaw that makes a complete picture, making horse racing a sustainable activity for the future, and how Frankie Dettori surprised and delighted his fans by sharing their table at dinner. Please enjoy episode 13. So hello and welcome. And today I'm joined by Louise Daly of York Racecourse Hospitality. Louise, welcome. Thank you, Ross. You've been here five years now. Yes, I have. Yes. Tell us a bit about what you do here. So I am the commercial manager here at York Racecourse. So my responsibility is to oversee all of the sales on the hospitality side of things from a racing perspective. And then, of course, with only having the 18 days of racing, the venue has to function outside of those 18 days of racing. So also my responsibility to oversee all of the conference and events business that goes on here. Basically to help the venue make money Yeah. when there's no yeah. racing going on. And we, we've got so many permanent staff here on site 364 days of the year I think people only see us as 18 days of racing and then for the rest of the time we sit with our feet up which is yes. <laughs> I've been to a couple of events so big exhibitions you had here where mm -hmm. I had a trade stand and, yeah. and did a talk as well I remember yeah. once seeing yeah, that kind of stuff yeah. and of course out there today you've got Rod Stewart yeah oh, I, do you know one of the most fantastic things about this site is number one the enormity of it mm -hmm. We are completely independent, so there's no affiliation to either the jockey club or another hotel, for instance. So what we all say to people is, we're the blank canvas, you can paint the picture. Mm. And just by looking out there now, when you can see a pop-up stadium yeah. being built in the centre of the Navesmire, which on Saturday will host Rod Stewart and hold 30,000 people. Wow. I mean, the logistics of that is yeah. just incredible. And the thing is that that goes on out there and in here we have six or seven other events going on most days there's rarely a day here that there is nothing going on wow so that's because of the work that you do to get all this stuff happening yeah i think it's you know it's it's one of those things where you put on a race day and it's so well orchestrated in terms of the marketing collateral that surrounds our racing here and the knowledge Race days kind of sell themselves to some extent, mm. but the other things that go on, we act as host, we act as venue, and we work very closely with our clients. Customer service is at the heart of everything we do here. So whether it is hosting a race day and we're, you know, we're, we're sat in this beautiful committee room now full of, you know, antique memorabilia, mm. there really is something here 
that is suitable for any event that you have, whether you've got a, a small intimate meeting for five, six, seven, eight people, or whether it's like you say you've been to or you're part of an exhibition and a conference where you would maybe have six, seven hundred people. So very flexible. So how many people in your team does it take to fill this place all those days? We have got, uh, on the commercial side of the operation here, we have got a team of 12. And uh, whilst we are very much on the commercial side of things, we have an ops team. So the commercial team work very closely with the ops team, and it's the operations team who deliver what we basically sell. Again, one of the beauties of, of this venue is there is rarely two events the same. So when we recruit here, it's really important that you are selecting people with natural customer service skills yeah. because it's key that people are confident in questioning our clients so that we are delivering on what their expectation, what their visualization is. You know, people buy from people. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, people buy from people. So it's having a team of people who are able to deliver with confidence an event after a number of meetings with with clients. Yeah. So customer service is the number one thing, a peeve I think I have with various businesses of all types. So you say that you recruit people who are naturally great at customer service. Mm. How do you know that? And what do you, what's the impact of you on your team to promote consistent customer service? Mm-hmm. I think it's like when you buy a new home, you know, when you walk through the front door, or even through the front gate, <laughs> whether that's going to be your house or not. Yeah. And I have known in the past, someone has walked into the room and I've known whether they would fit in with the team or not. Wow. And I always kind of think, you know, we've got some, we had a massive investment last year in a new CRM system, a new customer relationship management Mm -hmm. system. And a fantastic system, really efficient. But I can teach that system to anybody. What I can't teach is character, personality. And I am a firm believer in behavior breeds behavior. And I think, you know, depending on how someone looks, how they behave, their first interaction and, you know, just even like you and I are chatting now, I think you either build that rapport with somebody. And when you spend eight, nine or even 12 hours on a race day, when you're spending that length of time with somebody, it's really key that there is that connection, yeah. there is that electricity yeah. Yeah. between between you. And, you know, I think since in five years I've been here, I think bar three, the whole team has transitioned. And, um, you know, how do, I think the second part of that question is, how do I impart my customer service? Well, it's not, you know, as I've said, behavior breeds behavior. And I think it's really important to be an inspirational person. I think, you know, we have various mantras. We never say no without offering an alternative. Excellent. And my, I've been really lucky in my career that I've worked for some really great businesses at great times. So I worked for British Airways for eight years based in the Middle East. And it was a time where 
money in the airline business was um, flowing. And I was lucky enough to do the case and management training school, which is a year-long management school. And you know, it's rare now that you get the opportunity to do things like yeah. that. And that taught me about how you motivate through praise. You look at what someone's doing, not what they're not doing. And it's all about you. It's not about them. It's about you. And, you know, I'd like to think that I um, and I do offer an element of inspiration in the office. I think you certainly do. You've only been here five years, which in your career is relatively short time. Mm-hmm. Where were you before? Um, I spent half of my life in the Middle East. So I left the UK when I was 23. Uh, I moved out to Yemen. And I remember my parents taking me to Manchester Airport and my mother uh, pushing in the trolley, sobbing, thinking she would never see me again. And, you know, my parents have had some of the, the best holidays I've ever had sure, me yeah. in various parts of the Middle East. But I've been very, very lucky and blessed in that I've worked in some fantastic venues. I was part of the team who took Formula One to Bahrain, so the first Formula One wow. race on the fourth of the fourth of the fourth. Then moved into golf. I'm a passionate golfer, so moved into golf also in Bahrain. But then had an opportunity to move to Oman and work with Greg Norman on a new startup golf course as part of the Wave project, which if anyone has been to Oman, it's quite spectacular. And I think, you know, having had 23 years in the Middle East, it taught me a lot that what I was looking for was my forever life and moving back to the UK was part of that forever life. Mm. So tell us a bit, Louise, about your experience of it being in the Middle East, because, well, for a woman, especially, I've never been. So I just have this vision and what I've seen on the television and, and you hear about. So what's it like being a career woman in the Middle East? You have to be brave and you have to be strong and you've got to be pretty much self-motivated because there is nowhere to hide as a woman in the Middle East because you are always being sought out for doing something wrong Mm. because it is hard. And I've seen lots and lots of changes. I had five years in Dubai before the real big boom of Dubai hit. I'm glad I was there when I was there and not there now. I think it's a lot more superficial now. But it's a very precarious place working in the Middle East and you are constantly aware of your actions, what you do, what you say, who you say that to. And, you know, it's just one of those very fickle places where your face fits, Mm -hmm. fantastic. You can get on and you have a fantastic time, which touch wood, I did. Get my head down, worked really hard and proved myself. But all too often... You know, I saw people who had had kind of run-ins, arguments with the wrong people, and you're literally on a plane that night. The tolerance level is, you know, zero. But, you know, would I change my career path? No. I had a fantastic time and have had some amazing opportunities. Mm. And it's part of my journey, I think, that's brought me here today. Yeah. And I think it's also given me a fantastic appreciation. I still sit out in the rain. You know, I was deprived of rain for 23 years and <laughs> still do dodgy things. I sit out in the rain and Jumped drink in tea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, suckers, yeah. Um, and it does give you a fantastic appreciation for being back in this country. Yeah, I'm sure. My home. Yeah. Tolerance is something we completely take for granted here. Yes, we do. Mm. We do. And I think it's one of those things that when you, when it's inherent in you to 
think before you speak. Yeah. You know, there's a place for blurting, and I get that. <laughs> but thinking before you speak, and also having that empathy and consideration for people around you, because you know, okay, I've got a relatively small team, but. I see each of those team members as being part of the jigsaw that mm. makes the complete picture of your race course hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. And they all contribute, which is fantastic. Yeah. And so when you came back from the Middle East and you um, had this amazing opportunity, because it's a new post, wasn't it? Yes. And yeah. you were sought out. Yes, I was approached whilst still living in Oman. Great phone call from a chap called Adrian Hunter who called completely out of the blue and said don't suppose you're coming home anytime soon and I I was, I was coming home three weeks later um, didn't even know how to find your race course at the time <laughs> but being married to a York man I was duly dropped off outside the front door and had three interviews in two weeks and was offered the position went back out to the Middle East handed in my notice and there you've got to give three months notice as opposed to kind of the traditional one month here in this country and moved back here in the November, brought the dog home, and it was just love at first sight. Yeah. You know, it, and five years on, it's still love at first sight. Yeah. I pinch myself to be part of this amazing environment. Yeah. It's a fantastic place to work. Yeah, I can imagine. We were talking earlier about the targets that you set and, and how, you know, it's full all the time with events going on. What drives you? Passion. Commitment, loyalty, pride. I also know that this is my last kind of piece in my own personal jigsaw of my career. And I just want to end it on a high. You know, I've got a, a working life plan span. And th this is where my career journey will end for me. And I've just got so much energy. And I just enjoy what I do, and I think it's one of those things that when you do enjoy what you do, you do it naturally, I think. And also, I think working in the hospitality industry, you are working with people to book a luxury item. You know, you can do without hospitality for sure. And you're dealing with them when they are celebrating anniversaries and birthdays and special occasions or business launches mm -hmm. or business milestones so you're always kind of dealing with people that are on you know kind of a buoyancy high yeah so yeah. yes it's a great thing to be if you're going to be out there selling sell something that yeah. people want yeah absolutely so I went to the races down in Newmarket the other day mm. and uh, I was just googling something about horse racing and it's our most popular outdoor sport after football apparently oh wow yeah, maybe you know that I don't know but what is lovely here is that you see the generations yeah. kind of come through of, you know, it was the same, I experienced the same thing in, in my golf career in that you have to have a client base that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. So it's about making sure that the next generations that are coming through are there to sustain the sport, yeah. to, to sustain the event. And if we're not developing with the times, like offering gin bars or offering all the champagne terraces, and you're not going to get the young people coming in. Yeah. 
and it has to be sustainable. So we've really got to kind of keep your eye on trends, keep your eye on what young people are doing, what they're willing to spend for certain things. And, you know, no more so can you see that than with the music events. So the music events started off, I think, I don't know, eight, nine years ago with tribute acts. Right, yes. And now it's the real deal. Yeah. You know, this year we've got Tears for Fears, James Arthur, and we've got Busted as well as, you know, Rod Stewart on Saturday. So it's it's about what do we need to do to make horse racing sustainable for yeah. the future. Yeah. And that's about developing and creating an event that the younger people want to attend. Yeah. Just like any business. Yeah. Yeah. Race days are quite famous in York anyway for, should we say, some overindulgence of sorts. Mm-hmm. And you do see some funny things. I've seen some <laughs> funny things in the city centre. But there must be other funny things. You must see funny things all the time. Tell me a funny story, Louise. Yeah, we always get the bad press for what happens at 10 o'clock at night because they are a race goer. Well, they were a race goer until 7 o'clock. But we had a lovely, a lovely, lovely story Uh, last week. Frankie Dettori, you know, loves coming to York and Parisian Restaurant, which is our newest restaurant down at Northern End Development. And um, it's above the jockey's weighing room and Frankie often nips up the back stairs. He likes a little glass of champagne and something to eat. And on um, during the Dante Festival, the restaurant was full over three days, completely full. And uh, with fish on the menu, Frankie nips up the back stairs and says to Craig, our restaurant manager, is there any chance I could have a bowl of the main course fish that, that is on today? And Craig said, yeah, absolutely. I've got nowhere to seat you. Anyway, earlier on in the day, Craig was talking to a couple who were sat in the restaurant on the table for two. Massive Frankie Dettori fans, massive Frankie Dettori fans. So whilst they were out on the balcony watching a race, Craig went and set a, an extra place at their table. Oh, wow. Sat Frankie Dettori at the table. So when they came back from the balcony, there's Frankie Dettori oh, wow. sat at the table, um, who also turns out to be an Arsenal fan, and they were Arsenal football fans oh, as well. So, magic. you know, surprise and delight yes like that that's the positive side of yeah. what happens here yeah. and because he's such an amenable character they just had the most amazing time you imagine and they'll yeah. remember that forever yeah you know and yeah so there are some great things that happen yeah, here definitely been lovely speaking with you louise and uh yeah just really really interesting stories you have what would be the number one piece of advice that you would give a woman today who wanted to start a new business Know where you want to be, because if you don't know where you want to be, how do you ever know how to make the decisions to get you there? Mm. And for me, it's a visual aid. And so if I'm here and I want to be there, I then know if I'm going off track. And when I see I'm going off track, I then need to look at what I need to do to bring me back on track. Yeah. And it's about constantly reviewing that. So, you know, there's lots of talk about five-year plan, 10-year plan. Do you have a one-year plan? Well, you know, break that down into chunks. But for me, it's always been about knowing where I want to be and be very specific in that. What does that look like? Who's there? What does it smell like? What are the details? And I think once you know where that is, you can then start to make decisions to make that happen. Yeah. Perfect. Sound advice indeed. Love that. Very profound. 
I do have something else I wanted to celebrate a bit there because you said earlier that you have all this energy. Mm. I understand that you recently did a, a London Marathon for the first time. Mm-hmm. So tell us how that went and what kept you going for that? My first marathon, 52 years old, I ran for Sands, which is the stillborn and death, uh, neonatal death. Um, society and I did that for my best friend who lost her daughter five years ago and uh, Megan was my goddaughter and I always wanted to give something back so I raised £6,000 for the charity during the journey it was a journey of self-discovery for me I spent my winter completely dedicated to a training program my hobby was my training manager and I loved the journey. And, you know, if you'd have, I trained for a 4.30 marathon and I came in at 4.36. So I was wow. absolutely chuffed a bit. It's amazing. Amazing yeah. results all around. I loved it. I loved every single second of it. And if I could do it again this Sunday, I would. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. Well done. And then just finally, Louise, how do people find out more about uh, what you're doing here at the uh, York Race Course? Well, I'm certainly part of Meet the Team on our website, and you can find that information on yorkracecourse.co.uk. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you, Roz. In our conversation, Louise talked about the importance of absolute clarity about where it is you want to be. Otherwise, it's so difficult to find the way to get there. So we talk about this in terms of making a common goal for your business. You need to tell your team members what the goal of your business is. You can't expect them to achieve results if they don't know what the overall goal is that they must be aiming for. So it all starts with your vision. The vision must be regarded as a central aim that enrolls the support of all your team members. It inspires them to do the things they have to do to meet their own individual goals. And from the vision, you develop your mission statement. Your goals are very much more specific activities that, when achieved, help you accomplish your mission and fulfil your vision. By setting goals, you give your business direction and focus, as well as movement and momentum. They are the things that get the business moving. Everyone needs to have goals that collectively help the business progress in the direction of its ultimate vision. So what's your vision for the business? It's no use setting individual goals for team members that pull in opposite directions. You'll be surprised at how easy this is to do. For example, a factory owner might set his production manager the goal of operating with no overtime. He might set his salespeople the goal of doubling the sale of widgets, even though it's only possible to produce the additional items by operating shifts on overtime. We need to have SMART goals. They're specific, measurable, achievable, results-oriented goals that have a time frame. If your goals don't meet these basic criteria, they won't be of much use. You or your team won't be able to achieve them. They'll be unrealistic and a waste of time. So clarity of your vision, where it is you want to be, and communicating that to your team is absolutely paramount to business success. This has been your Ross Jones Bold Business Bits podcast show. If you'd like any further information about anything we've discussed today, please just get in touch. Go to businesscoachingyorkshire.co.uk. Please join me again next week when I'll be speaking with another phenomenal female business boss with bold business bits. And remember to subscribe to my show. Thanks for listening.